So the question is really, what makes us happy? What makes you happy? Typical answers to this question would be a good friend, a good social life, having a job, being in love, possibly recognition and success, sex, personal growth, a good financial situation, all of these things and more can often be things that we say, this makes us happy. But if you look at most of those answers, they focus on the external situation instead of the internal. Because the popular idea of happiness is this, having the right circumstances. It's the when and eight, the when and then thinking. So, you might think, when I get out of school, I'll be happy. When I get a job, then I'll be happy. When I get married, I'll be happy. When I have kids, then I'll be happy. Or maybe it's when the kids leave home, then I'll be happy. The classic chapter in the Bible on the search for happiness is Ecclesiastes 2. And Solomon in verse 1 said, I decided to enjoy myself and find out what happiness is. So when you get home, if you want to look in your Bibles, look up Ecclesiastes 2, because Solomon says, I tried it all, and I found that there were three dead ends, three things that actually don't bring happiness. The first, he says, is accumulating things, getting stuff. The second is experiencing pleasures. And the third is achieving success. Solomon found that all of these were dead ends. And yet, those are things, the three things that we spend our life trying to get, that we think, if I just get at least one of those, I'll begin to be happy. Solomon, at the time, was the wealthiest man on earth. He could indulge in all kinds of pleasures. He was a very successful man. And yet he said, no, that doesn't work. You see, we can so often think that if we can accumulate lots of things, lots of stuff, and have this great house, this great car, and this huge telly, and, and so on, then we'd be happy. If I could just win the lottery, then I'll be happy. Get those millions, and I'll be happy. Someone asked Howard Hughes once, he used to be at least a very rich man, but they asked him, how much does it take to make a man happy. And he said, just a little bit more. And he was rich, but he could say, just that little bit more. You see, television lies. We can't actually buy happiness. We might search for the latest thrill to experience pleasure. But Solomon said, I've tried it all. I've tried all these pleasures. It's still didn't satisfy or bring happiness. Achieving success, if we can just be really successful, if I could just get people to look up to me, then I'll be happy. Solomon was king of an empire. He had slaves. He had it all. It didn't bring happiness. And he says all of it is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. And so the popular idea of happiness is having the right circumstances that things are going well. But God's way to happiness is having the right attitude. 
Now, as you get to know me more and more, and more over the times as I preach, you'll hear me say quite often, God is more interested in our holiness than our happiness. And I stand by that. God wants us to be happy, uh, holy. But, having said that, that does not mean God wants us to have a miserable life. Jesus said that he said he came to give us life. Life in all its fullness, life in all its abundance, to give us the best life possible. And here we had read by Jeanne earlier, at the beginning of Matthew 5, we had the opening lines of that famous sermon of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. And there are positive statements, eight positive statements about happiness that we call the Beatitudes. Now of all the subjects that Jesus could have chosen to speak on when he started the Sermon on the Mount, he basically chose the subject, how to be happy. And, you know, we can buy self-help books, can't we? How to be happy. But Jesus spoke on it. Why? Because he knew that's what we're all searching for. It's all what we all want. We want to be happy. And actually God wants us to be happy too. But the fact is, few people find it. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at these eight Beatitudes, these eight sayings, how to be happy. Which are not just principles for personal happiness, but can also be seen as a prescription for emotional health. Now, what was read to us began with the word blessed. It's an old English word, which we sometimes use, but basically it says happy. He says, happy are you if you're poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now some of those things you read and you think, well, they're they're contradictions. Happy if we're sad. Happy if we're poor. Happy if we're put down and persecuted. That doesn't honestly sound like a good prescription for happiness. But Jesus is saying that we can be happy in spite of our circumstances. You see, if we have to have all of our problems solved before we become happy, we'll never be happy. If we have to have everything perfect in our life before we are happy, we will never be happy. We know that because everything isn't ideal. It's not how we would particularly choose it. And Jesus is saying, I want to teach you that our happiness depends not on the right circumstances, but it depends on a right attitude. And actually happiness is not determined by what's happening around us, but what's happening within us. So we're going to be looking at that. So today we're going to look at the very first beatitude, the very first step, the very first attitude. The first step to happiness is to be humble. Matthew 5, verse 3, that first one says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by poor in spirit? What he's not talking about and what he's not saying is to have low self-esteem. He's not saying you need to put yourself down all the time. 
We are created in the image of God. So we do have value, we do have worth, we do have significance. It doesn't mean we're perfect, we're not. We do sin, we do things that aren't right. But Jesus isn't saying we run around and put ourselves down all the time. We don't have to say, well, I'm lousy, I'm no good, I'm wicked, I'm bad, I'm nasty. That is not what Jesus is saying by being humble, by being poor in spirit. But what it does mean is simply to depend on God. He's talking about humility, admitting that we don't have it all together, that we don't have all the answers, admitting that we haven't arrived, we haven't learned it all, and we are not the sum total of the universe, and we're not perfect. That is what depending on God it means. But it's more than simply a head knowledge. It's a deep down dependence on God. Depending completely wholly on God. The opposite of poor in spirit is arrogance. And Jesus would say if we're full of arrogance, we're never going to be happy. The Good News translation of this verse is happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. They know they don't have it all together. They know they need God. Living Bible says, happy are the humble. The point that Jesus is making is simply that humble and happy go together. Humility and happiness go together. They're twins, they're soulmates. If we want to have lasting happiness, then we need to learn to be humble. Not to put ourselves down. Not to say we're lousy, but just to say, God, we are totally dependent on you. So how can humility increase our happiness well the first thing is to say humility reduces stress you see when we are totally dependent on God then the stress levels go down because we can leave God to sort things out when we're humble we don't have to have all the answers when we're humble we don't have to solve all the problems in the world We don't have to fake it. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to pretend that we're perfect because God doesn't demand that we be perfect in order to be happy. And we don't have to play God and assume responsibility that he never gave us. So when we are humble, when we totally depend on God, it reduces our stress levels. And see, when we're humble, we can live with the tension between the real And the ideal, the way we want to live our life, the way we want our career to go, the ideal for our family, our marriage, the ideal for our kids and the reality, the way it really is. Because there is always that tension in life between the ideal and the real. We look at the ideal and think that's what we would like to be and we look at the real and what it really is and we say, that's okay, we can live with it. Humility accepts the fact that we can be happy because we're depending on God even though things are not ideal. We may not have the best job. Our marriage may not be perfect. It reduces stress when we're humble. You know, I think it's probably true that we take ourselves too seriously and we don't take God seriously enough. It causes a lot of our problems. When we're out there trying to impress people with who we are, that causes stress. 
when we learn humility, when we become humble, when we walk in dependence upon God, it reduces the stress in life because we do not have to impress people, we do not have to think, have people thinking well of us because God thinks well of us. And as the stress goes down, so we become happy. So that's the first thing. The second thing it does is it improves our relationships. When we are humble, we get along better with other people. Humility doesn't mean we think less of ourselves, we just think more about others. When we become interested in others, we become interesting to others. So we have better relationships when we're humble. And we don't have to be right all the time. And it's easier for us to say the two hardest words in the English language. I'm sorry. Really hard words. But when we're humble, we can say them. Or we can say the three hardest words. I was wrong. Or the three other hardest words. I need help. When we are humble, we can do that. We can say sorry. We can say we were wrong. And when we're poor in spirit, it means we don't have to fake it and pretend we're perfect. And it reduces our stress, it improves our relationship because we're humble enough to ask for forgiveness. St. Francis of Assisi, the monk, had a method of maintaining humility. In his memoirs, he said that any time anybody praised him, in order to stay humble, he had a fellow monk sit down and tell him all his faults. Now, he had to ask a fellow monk because he wasn't married. You see, most of us don't need to get a monk. If we're married, we have the heavenly sandpaper. Ruth Graham said this about Billy Graham. My job is to love Billy. God's job is to keep him humble. God can do a better job than us. It improves our relationships when we're humble. You see, when we're full of pride, when we think well of ourselves, when we're put down, we bruise very easily. We become very sensitive to other people's comments. When we're trying to impress people and someone says something that uh, is not so nice, it hurts. It's like a sticking pin in a balloon. But when we walk humbly before God, when we are just being who we are before God and dependent on him, we can almost become immune to insults because we just rely on God. And God says at all times, I love you, I think you're great, I think you're wonderful, and I died for you. And it's only God who really matters what, what, what he thinks of us, not what other people do. And when people say horrible things about us, when we're walking before the Lord with the right attitude, they may be right, they may be wrong, but we're relying on God to lead us and guide us and to point out those places where we need to change. So humility reduces stress, it improves relationship, but it also releases God's power. James 4 verse 6 says, God gives strength to the humble, but he sets himself against the proud. Do you want to have God's strength in your life? The Bible says the secret of spiritual power is to walk humbly before the Lord, to realise we are completely and utterly dependent on him. You see, the principle here is the secret of strength is admitting weakness. 
The secret of power is admitting helplessness. The secret of happiness is humility. The secret of victory is total surrender to God. The secret of independence is dependence on God. Happy are those who know their need for God, is one translation, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That means that all God has to offer is available to the person who is walking humbly before God. All that God has to offer is ours when we live in dependence on him. The fact is that every single one of us here this morning need Jesus in our life. We need God's power to make it through the week. And that power is available to us. And God is waiting to simply pour out his power upon us. We simply need to ask, to admit that we need his help, that we cannot make it on our own. There's a verse in Philippians that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we admit that we can do nothing, when we have that attitude that says, I can do anything through Christ, not that I can do anything on my own, but I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me, then that power will give us supernatural power to work on those problems we can't change and we may have tried. Those areas of our life where we can't get control of and we've tried. Those relationships that are falling apart and we can't do anything about it. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. That's what it means to be humble. And when we are humble, our life becomes better. We become happier because it reduces our stress, it improves our relationships and it releases God's power. John 13 verse 17 says, Now that you know the truth, how happy you'll be if you put it into practice. And all of us need to ask ourselves a question. Where do we, each of us, as individuals, need to practice humility in this coming week? Where do you, where do I, need to depend on God more this week? Where is it that we're trying to control things and we know we can't because we tried, but we just depend on God? We all need God's power in our life. But it only comes when we humble ourselves and say, God, help. Help me, God, because I can't do this on my own. I can't live the life that you want me to on my own. The person who says help is the humble person. And the person who is humble, God says, there's nothing I won't do for that person. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let's pray. And perhaps in the silence and the quietness, you'll just say to God, name an area, or areas if you want, that you know that you're not making it. You're trying to control, but you can't. Maybe in your marriage, in your job, maybe as a parent, or, or whatever, an area where you just know that you're not dependent on God. And just admit to God that you need help. Don't have to say it out loud. You can just say it in your heart and God will hear. Admit that you need him. Not just in some areas, but in every area. 
and just humble yourself before God. Because those that humble themselves, God lifts you up and gives you the power to do what he's called you to do. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble before honour is humility. Just say to God, I need you. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, in God at all, ever, just say to him, God, I need you in my life. Thank you for coming to this earth and teaching us. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for giving your life, humbling yourself so much that you thought of me rather than your own comfort. Just thank him for that. And ask him to come and help you. Just give your life to Jesus. The first point of humility is just to come to him and admit your need of him. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you teach us and Lord, help us to be completely dependent on you, to admit that we need you in every area. Thank you for loving us so much that you want to help us in even the smallest area of our lives. And Lord, help us all this morning to sense your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.